Welcome to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast. Thank you to everybody that's listened to all of our previous episodes, downloaded our episodes, left us your comments and reviews on both Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all the other platforms. We want you to know how much we appreciate you doing that because it helps us spread more messages around the world. Today, you guys, I don't have a guest in my podcast. I told you we were going to do a special Q&A session right here on the Fit and Fabulous Podcast where I answer your questions. So we asked Facebook, we asked Instagram, what do you guys want to know? You can literally ask me anything. And you guys came to bat. Uh, We had so many comments on Instagram, so many comments on Facebook. So I'm literally going to scroll through these and uh, we're going to do this a little bit rapid fire because I want to get to as many topics as I can, but I, I can't possibly get through all these questions. So if you guys love this episode, why don't you tell us down in the comment section that, that you liked it and that you want to hear it again. And then maybe we'll do it again soon. So, all right. So let's get to these questions. Okay. So the first question comes from Sunny. She asks, how can I find a doctor in my area? As amazing as you have tried the diet doctor site with no success. I get messages all the time. Do you have a, do you know a doctor like you in Florida? Do you know of a doctor like you in Canada? Um, unfortunately there's only one of me and kind of the area that I practice in is very niche for being an OBGYN. So there's not just a lot of doctors in general with a background in nutrition or ketogenic therapies. And so unfortunately, um, there's, there's not a lot of us. Now you can go to some of the websites that have physician registries. So I think Diet Doctor was doing it, Low Carb USA, I think MeetRx, which is now Rivero Health. There are websites that have some registries, but of course it's dependent upon those doctors to put themselves into the registries to be able to find patients I don't practice telemedicine, so I only practice at Mid-City OBGYN in Omaha. And uh, because of telemedicine laws, I have to be licensed in the state where the patient lives. Um, So just so you guys know, you have to actually come see me here in Omaha. And I have had patients fly in from all over the country um, to come see me, which I think is, wow, that's super humbling and amazing. Uh, But unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, But certainly anybody that practices kind of in the integrative and functional space is going to be quite like-minded. Okay. Our next question comes, um, is it possible to avoid preeclampsia once you've had it? So preeclampsia, a disease of pregnancy, uh, where you have high blood pressures, start spilling protein in the urine. Um, unfortunately this is one of the, um, things that can happen in pregnancy that really increase the morbidity and mortality for moms. And, um, we, we don't really know the cause other than the placenta and the pregnancy, the treatment is to deliver the baby if it gets too bad. Now the mom is at an increased risk of developing preeclampsia in her next pregnancy, and she's at an increased risk, lifetime risk of cardiovascular disease and chronic hypertension, certainly maximizing lifestyle interventions. So making sure you're controlling, uh, you're not abusing carbs, uh, you're at a normal body weight, you come into the pregnancy with normal blood pressures, normal metabolic labs, those types of things. But sometimes it can still happen. Uh, from the scientific literature, the only thing so far that's been shown to possibly reduce the risk of recurrent preeclampsia is baby aspirin therapy in pregnancy. So most of the studies have used about a hundred milligram threshold, which baby aspirin are 81 milligrams. So talk to your doctor about if that's right for you, aspirin therapy to prevent recurrent preeclampsia. <coughs> okay. Somebody says, I keep trying to get in better shape. I start and I give up quickly. How can I stay motivated? (sighs) Okay. His name is Jay. Jay, here's the deal. Motivation is absolute garbage. 
Um, making lifestyle changes is about changing your mentality. It sounds to me like you are stale. You are bored. There's nothing that inspires you about waking up and going to the gym. And so you really have to work on everything above the shoulders and really changing your mindset. Because I'll tell you right now, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to go work out. Do you think most of the time that that's like super exciting to me? No, not really. But I live in this just this total mindset and mind frame of paying myself first. And I know that by getting that in, I'm going to function better. My brain's going to function better. Physically, it's going to keep me capable to do all the things I want to do. So it's, it's easy to start. Everybody's interested, but nobody's committed to the long term. And so you have to figure out uh, what really inspires you in your day, because those are the things that are most likely to keep you coming back for more. Okay. All right. Uh, this is a great question. How did you come up with the name Dr. Fit and Fabulous? I actually am, I'm not entirely sure. It started one night on my couch a number of years ago after we had started eating ketogenic and I was really trying to take control of my own health. I thought, gosh, I'm going to start a Facebook page. So I've been on Facebook a lot longer than I've been on Instagram. And um, I, I'm not really sure where Fit and Fabulous came. But what I can tell you uh, is that sometimes you have to make a declaration without any evidence about who you really want to be. And when I started on the path of kind of fixing my diet and starting to exercise again, um, those were like the two words that came into my mind. And it was, it was who I wanted to be as a role model for my kids. I wanted to be fit and I wanted to be fabulous because I just think it embodies like everything that women want, right? We want to be like fabulous. You guys on, on uh, YouTube, you can see I showered today, did my hair, put my makeup on. Uh, most days I'm not like this. Uh, <laughs> matter of fact, this entire week I've been uh, like a greasy little ball and scrubs and I didn't get much sleep. And so I'm not like this all the time, but um, this just really allows me to express my my femininity and uh, the fact that I'm, you know, strong. I've got this tight Lululemon shirt on. Like, you know, everybody makes those decisions to have blue hair or or whatever it is that makes you feel like the most authentic you. And so that's what I think fabulous embodies. And then fit. It can be fit anything. Have a fit mind. Have a fit body. Um, I think that the kind of five pillars of health are physical, you know, which is which is like exercise, nutrition, um, environment, stress, and sleep. And I want to be fit in all five of those areas. So, uh, now, now it's a brand. I can't, I can't, I can't escape it now. Uh, okay. Somebody says, but do you feed your children? Do you have them doing keto as well? No, my children, um, are not ketogenic. Kids can tolerate a lot more carbs than we can as adults, but we certainly do try to limit processed foods that are high in like added sugars and vegetable oils. But my kids eat, you know, whole food, carbs, fruit, vegetables, Um, They certainly eat a lot of meat because that's what we, you know, cook. So if we're having beef or salmon or chicken or whatever it is, my children eat the same thing. (coughs) Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, Somebody's got a question on menopausal weight gain. Is there any hope? Menopause is such a crazy transition for women because you're essentially going from making all of these sex steroid hormones like estrogen and progesterone. And uh, the clinical definition of menopause is when you haven't had a period for 12 months and we have loss of estrogen and progesterone. It can cause a variety of symptoms for women like hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, um, sleep disturbances, just to name a few. But weight gain does tend to happen really naturally for a variety of reasons. Um, 
hormone replacement therapy won't just magically make, make the weight fall off. But what's happening is that as we lose our estrogen, we tend to become more insulin resistant. So if you're not eating well and you come into menopause, it's easy to put on about 10 pounds just instantaneously, especially in the abdominal region, because that insulin resistance will start to drive more deposition of visceral fat, which is the fat around our organs. The other thing that's happening is you're losing your lean body mass. And as you lose your muscle, which is the muscle, uh, muscle is the organ of longevity, your metabolic rate starts to go down. So if you like to eat, you want to gain as much muscle as you can. So my advice for menopausal weight gain is to control calories. You could consider something like intermittent fasting if that works for you or a low-carb diet. Uh, You've got to do some resistance training, but just do all the right things and embrace your body and the things that it can still do for you. And uh, it's use it or lose it at this point. So uh, there, there is hope after menopause, okay? All right, let's see. I'm scrolling through these, trying to find the best questions that will benefit the most people. Um, Let's see. A lot of people are asking about keto and uh, low-carbon pregnancy. And um, (laughs) you guys, my dogs, we're going to have to bring them on an episode of the Fit and Fabulous podcast because they play like around my feet while I'm filming. Uh, So if you guys haven't met Roscoe and T-Rex on my Instagram, uh, they're, they're part of the show today. They're over here unplugging lights (laughs) with their little escapades. Okay, back to keto and low-carbon pregnancy. So uh, the the idea in pregnancy is that we want to give the baby all the nutrients it needs, okay? So you really shouldn't be having any sort of restrictive diet, but you want to be eating nutrient-dense foods. So beef, eggs, liver, these things have lots of nutrients. You want to avoid foods that are devoid of nutrients but high in calories and energy. So these are any sort of processed foods that contain flour, sugars, and vegetable oils. Certainly... You should have some carbs in pregnancy, but they should come from whole food sources, you know, like some fruit or, or squash or sweet potato, uh, veggies, fruits, these types of things, and, uh, and really staying away from, from the foods that are devoid of nutrients. That's, that's my best advice, but it's going to be different for everybody. But there's physiologic insulin resistance that happens in pregnancy for a reason to make sure there's an uninterrupted supply of energy to your baby, including both ketones and glucose. It's normal for pregnant women to actually make ketones. And we've seen umbilical cord studies that babies are actually producing their own ketones at birth. And breast milk is high in MCTs, which help create more ketones, help with myelination of the brain. Uh, but breast milk also has glucose in it. So uh, it's, it's good to be eating those whole, whole food uh, carb sources in your diet. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, lots of questions on the thyroid. Um, Lots of questions I read, but none of them, none of them are, are super specific here. But uh, in general, <coughs> um, in general, uh, most of them are, are talking about Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition of the thyroid uh, where you create antibodies that attack your own thyroid. And in this, con- in this condition, you want to figure out what's actually causing uh, the, the source of creation of these antibodies. And uh, it's thought that maybe it's gut dysbiosis um, that, is, that is happening here. And so if you can get to the root cause of that, uh, you can help your body to make less antibodies. But um, if you have hypothyroidism, you you need to treat it uh, and it, it needs to be monitored. But I myself had hypothyroidism after the birth of my third daughter. Well, actually, the birth of my first daughter. I was on thyroid meds through all my pregnancies. But mine was likely due to insulin resistance and uh, and metabolic disease. So once I was able to correct that, I was able to get off of, of thyroid medications. Um I did see this one. Somebody says, you look different, but fabulous and still beautiful. Did you have anything done? 
So I think somebody is asking if I've had any plastic surgery. Um, I certainly do look different than I did a couple of years ago. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a couple of years older. My hair is a lot longer. So I grew my hair out uh, when I was competing for Mrs. Nebraska and for Mrs. America. This is my real hair for all you YouTube people. There's no hair extensions in here. I think a healthy diet, high in uh, animal nutrients, fat, collagen are ways that you can uh, grow your hair out. And I've, of course, changed the products that used to really bleach it. I'm going to my my more natural color. You can see here at my roots, which is a lot darker. Um, I did have my eyebrows microbladed, um, but I have not had any plastic surgery done to my face. Um, this is just, I did my own makeup today. <laughs> I applied my own lashes and, uh, and, and that's it. So I'll take that as a, as a total compliment. But I do think that the like tone and texture and just glow of my skin has really improved and I've shared a lot of before and afters from 2015, 2016, right before I started a lot of my dietary changes. And uh, my skin has has improved a lot just, just from my diet. Um, I have done a few treatments at the med spas. I think a lot of people have seen me, the PRP, like the hot needles, <laughs> hot needles to the face with, with serum. I've done both the hot needles and, and the PRP with plasma. Um, and I've done five or six of those over the last couple of years. So I guess I could contribute some of this to that as well. And so, uh, you can look into that. I asked some of my most esteemed plastic surgery and derm friends, like what's the most bang for your buck with needles and lasers. And, and they really feel that radio frequency microneedling is where you're going to get the best collagen stimulation under the skin. So go check it out. Uh, if you're local, I had mine done over at Mod Dermatology and uh, they did a, a fantastic job. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't trust my face with everybody. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's see. Um, oh, somebody asked what I use to style my hair. I love these questions actually that don't involve anything with gynecology. I actually use a straightener to curl my hair. Uh, yeah, that's the thing about that. But I actually use a straightener to curl my hair and I've been doing it this, this way for a long time. And, uh, I don't, I don't think I could go back to using a curling iron, but one of the keys to not damage your hair is don't use it on like the hottest setting. Um, that can really ruin, uh, it can burn out the shaft of the hair because all the hair on your head is actually dead. The live part is underneath the scalp inside the follicle. So everything you see out here is actually dead. So you have to be careful. Think of it like a dead plant, <laughs> You're like nurture it. You don't want to break off any leaves. Okay. Be careful about how much, how many chemicals you're putting on it. Um, so if you take care of your hair, it'll look better. Uh, let's see. Um, a lot of people are asking about the shoes in the photo that I posted. They're just Adidas. You can just Google them, <laughs> but I love animal prints. That's one thing. Uh, you guys, uh, you might see it. I've got some, you know, leopard earrings I wear very often and, and I love animal prints. Uh, let's see. What's your response to people who say you just count calories to lose weight? This is a good one. Not all calories are created equal. So you can go on the McDonald's diet. You can go on the Twinkie diet. You can create a calorie deficit a lot of different ways, and you can lose weight. But over time, you're going to start to see the differences in your health based on being devoid of nutrients, right? If you try to live on, on ho-hos and Twinkies and a calorie deficit over time, you're, you're still not going to function and feel better. So um, I think we really have to, yes, calories do matter. Uh, so I'm not going to say they don't, but there's also lots of things that affect your basal metabolic rate. Like women, during progesterone or luteal phase, your metabolism actually goes up by two to 300 calories. And then in estrogen phase, it drops back down. Plus just fluctuations in hydration, lean body mass. So 
trying to titrate calories can sometimes be uh, a little bit misleading for people. Um, and so think about eating nutrient-dense foods. It will help you with natural satiety. It will help you to not overeat. Um, if you eat your protein and your fat first, you're less likely to overeat with your meals. Um, I just know from experience that I counted calories at one point. I was literally counting goldfish crackers. I knew what an exact serving of goldfish crackers was. And I was losing weight, but I still wasn't feeling or functioning the best that I could uh, because unfortunately, <laughs> those goldfish crackers are are quite devoid of, of anything that's not fortified. So uh, they do matter, but eat for nutrients. Uh, somebody says, should seed oils be avoided at all costs or are some worse than others? Uh, so seed oils are essentially synthetically, chemically made oils, contain high amounts of omega-6 fatty acids, linoleic acid, and they are easily oxidized and they easily drive inflammation inside of our bodies. And so I really do think that we should avoid them um, at all costs. They're in everything that comes in a box or a bag or or a jar. It's crazy. They're even adding canola oil to canned whipped cream. It's it's literally in every product, all your sauces and your salad dressings. They all contain soybean oil, uh, cottonseed oil, canola oil. Um, it'd be better to stick to things like beef tallow, ghee, butter, lard. Uh, plant oils like olive oil should be eaten fresh. It shouldn't be cooked with. Um, avocado oil has a little higher smoke point, so you could um, saute with that. But you really have to be careful about heating heating these oils. Um, if you're going to be cooking with them, which is a way to oxidize them. So imagine your chicken fingers in that really hot fryer. Oh my gosh, the oils are, I mean, you're, you're literally eating toxic chemicals. So you really have to be careful. And a lot of people think it's actually not the carbs and sugar that drive insulin resistance, that it's actually these industrialized seed oils. And I can't, I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. I do think they really contribute to a lot of the metabolic disease that, that we see in today's society. All right. I don't have a partner here to take, take a break from speaking. All right. We're going to carry on here. Uh, yeah. Somebody says your skin looks bomb. No questions. I'm telling you right now, a lot of people ask what my skincare regimen is and it's so basic. (laughs) You guys will be disappointed. I use, uh, and this is, uh, I'm not making any money. It's not sponsored, but I use the beauty counter cleansing balm most nights with a little magic eraser, uh, wipes. You, you've got to make sure you're cleaning your skin it's just a very gentle cleanser to get all the toxins and impurities. And of course, any makeup that you put on your skin and then a really good moisturizer. Um, if you're interested in anti-aging, most of my dermatology, uh, colleagues recommend the grass protocol, which is like, um, the G is for growth factors. The R is for retinol. Um, the A, I can't even quote it. I'm a gynecologist. Uh, one of the S's is for sunscreen, which I don't always necessarily agree with. And, um, I think, honestly, diet, basically, your outward appearance is a manifestation of your inward health. Does that make sense? If you're stressed, if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping well, you've all seen the person that walks into the office and you're like, dude, they look like shit. (laughs) There's something wrong with them, right? We can always tell. But then you see the person that comes in and they're like, they're glowing and they're radiant and they're full of energy because they're, they're, they're taking care of their bodies. So uh, it really is true that what we see on the outside is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And diet's a huge part of that. Uh, Let's see. 
somebody is asking about fasting while pregnant, I don't recommend it. You're trying to literally grow a human inside your belly. You need lots of little Lego, little building blocks, lots of nutrients. Uh, There's also growth that's happening within your own body, more breast development, lactation, the uterus is literally growing. So um, I I don't recommend that. Now, uh, is it going to be harmful? If you've ever seen a woman in the first trimester, uh, they, they fast not on purpose, because they feel like crap a lot of times when they're dealing with nausea and vomiting. So um, you certainly can for for short periods of time, but we really have to make sure that you're getting enough nutrients for your baby and that you're not losing weight. So that really, uh, you know, shouldn't be a primary goal in pregnancy. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I'm just scrolling through here. A lot of people are asking about insulin resistance and A1C. Uh, You might have uh, seen recently, I posted about October and the A1C Awareness Challenge uh, with BioCoach. I just want to highlight this again because one in three people uh, have prediabetes in this country. One in two either have diabetes or prediabetes, but nine out of 10 people with prediabetes don't know they have it. And that was me. I didn't know until I asked for my A1C to be checked in my doctor's office. And um, now we're offering home A1C testing. So if you're interested, go pick up that kit. Use my code DRFIT, D-R-F-I-T, uh, and you can get four A1C tests that you can do in the convenience of your own home and know your numbers. I'm all about empowering people with knowing their own numbers. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to worry about insurance or anything like that. And an A1C above 5.7 to 6.5 is considered pre-diabetes. Anything over 6.5 is considered type 2 diabetes. You, of course, want to confirm this with serum testing and visit your physician. But uh, we have a huge insulin resistance problem in this country. of America has abnormal metabolic markers. And if we don't change this, the trajectory of the human race really honestly um, is going to be threatened. Um, The healthcare system is not designed to fix these problems. And so if you are listening right now, I'm empowering you to know your own numbers and to take personal accountability and responsibility for whatever whatever that number is. Okay. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) All right. That's just a huge part of what I do. So, uh, okay, let's see. Um, Finding the best ones for all of you. And then I might switch over to uh, Facebook and make sure I hit a few of those too. Uh, People are asking about continuous glucose monitors and insulin monitors. Somebody is specifically asking about it ahead of conception. So, once again, just coming from my last uh, little spiel there on insulin resistance and A1C, you definitely want to know coming into a pregnancy if you've got problems like that. Because in pregnancy, uh, pregnancy is is such a window to what's going on with your your underlying health. If you develop things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, um, you're at a further increased risk over your lifetime. So I'm a huge fan of continuous glucose monitoring. There's no such thing as insulin monitoring. We have to draw your blood to check things like fasting insulin and C-peptide. But I'm a huge fan of continuous glucose monitoring uh, because you can see in real time what's going on with your blood sugars and how things like food and stress and sleep affect those numbers. Uh, But of course, it's hard. It's hard to get them covered. A lot of people ask where you can get one. There's a few companies doing direct-to-consumer sales of of continuous glucose monitors, but you need a prescription from your doctor. Uh, Now, even if your insurance company doesn't cover it, if you have a prescription from your doctor, you can ask what the cash price is at the pharmacy. Uh, But of course, you'll you'll have to get somebody that can write you that prescription. So uh, work with your healthcare provider uh, if you're interested in doing something like that. 
Uh, there's a, a few questions on here asking about hormone replacement therapy. I'm a huge fan of hormone replacement therapy. Uh, if you saw the quality of life changes that can happen for women when they replace their hormones after menopause, it can make a huge impact. It also can help reduce the risk of dementia, osteoporosis, and heart disease, let alone take away a lot of the debilitating symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, vaginal dryness that can happen. Um, you want to make sure that you're checking your levels, that you have a provider that that is uh, well-versed in hormone replacement therapy uh, and how to troubleshoot any problems that can arise with it. But uh, in general, I am a, I am a big fan of uh, hormone replacement therapy. Uh, somebody is asking, how do you balance being a doctor and all your business ventures, being a wife and a mother? Uh, well, the, sh- the short answer is I'm not, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I just, I just do it. I just live life. I wake up every day, but, uh, to be honest, you can't do it alone. I have the most amazing, incredible partner. If my husband's list, if he listens to my podcast, you think he does. Um, my husband, Ben is, is just incredible. He, he's a great partner. He's a great husband. He's a great father to our children. And so I, I have family help too. I would have never been able to get through residency had, uh, my mother and my mother-in-law not lived close by and, and helped a lot with our girls in those, those very young days. Um, but yes, you're right. I wear a lot of hats, but I know myself the best. I'm a person that really thrives on, on doing, doing things with my hands, using my brain. I don't do well in stagnation in the times of my life where I've maybe had, you know, like weeks in between a transition period. Uh, I don't feel good. I don't feel good when I'm not doing things, uh, producing, you know, adding to society. That's what makes me, you know, feel fulfilled. Um, And my life is not for everybody. I'll tell you that. I don't really watch TV. People ask me, hey, did you watch this Netflix series? Nope. Never even heard of it. (laughs) You know, I just don't do things like that. And I don't feel like I'm missing out. I love what I do. I love my job. I was up last night delivering babies in the middle of the night um, and then back at it today recording podcasts and and being a wife and a mom. And and my kids and my husband support everything that I do. So um, you can have any life if you're willing to put in the work for it. So um, that's that's all I got for you. But yeah, it, it probably seems like a circus from the outside. And some days it truly is. It truly is. Uh, let's see. There's such good questions. I, I, I hope you guys agree that, that we should do another one of these episodes because there's lots of, I'm going to switch over to Facebook right now. So give me just a minute here as I get over to your Facebook questions. Um, make sure that you guys, uh, leave us your comments, like I said, and share this episode because there's some really cool topics that we're discussing here. Okay. All right. Um, gosh, more questions on HRT. We should, I did do a podcast episode with, um, Dr. Tassone. So you can go back and, uh, find that one. We talked a lot. We really dove into hormone replacement therapy. So go check that one out. Uh, someone's asking about blood tests that you can have your doctor run. We talked a little bit about understanding what your A1C, what your fasting insulin and and fasting glucose levels are. That's a really easy way to find out if you have insulin resistance. I think you should always add on a fasting lipid panel. Um, there's lots of things that you can check. And so kind of beyond that, we really, it's really individualized to the patient, you know, if we're looking at their blood counts, their liver, kidney function, their thyroid testing. Um, but I just think that 
88% of America has abnormal metabolic markers. And those markers are your fasting glucose, your HDL, um, your blood pressure, your waist circumference. And I'm forgetting one off the top of my head. I can't even remember which ones I've already listed. But I think you need to understand just these basic markers of metabolic health and insulin resistance. Uh, And if you do that, you're going to be far, far ahead of the curve. Uh, Okay, someone's asking about hair loss on the ketogenic diet. Why does it happen? How do you stop it? Well, hair loss can be caused by a variety of of things. And if you've adopted a ketogenic diet and you've started to lose weight, you have to understand that hair loss can happen with weight loss. Um, It actually promotes something called telogen effluvium. It's the exact same thing that happens after you have a baby. And we see kind of this massive fallout. Um, And it can happen with stressful events can happen for a variety of reasons, but the good news is that it tends to be transient. So uh, it, it tends to come back with time, but of course it can be distressing, especially for women, and it can take a lot of time to regrow. Uh, a lot of the vitamins and things like that out there, mm, they're, they're not great. <laughs> um, I think a really good diet, making sure you're getting enough protein, collagen, um, some of the vitamins that, that are uh, essential for hair growth, you know, zinc, copper, some of your B vitamins are important. Um, there's some evidence for red light therapy. Uh, there are some new topical peptides too uh, that can be helpful for hair loss. Uh, but you want to make sure that it's not a condition um, like high androgens or a low-grade fungal infection on the scalp. So you want to see a dermatologist and you want to um, have them take a look at your follicles, take a look at your scalp, and, uh, and, and make a diagnosis. Because uh, that, that's a common question that I get. And I have a doc slated to come on actually and talk about this exact topic on the podcast. So we'll hopefully have an entire podcast that you can listen to on hair health and hair loss. Okay, let's see. Oh, some of these are kind of long. So I'm trying to pick out the, uh, <laughs> trying to pick out the ones that are going to mean the most. Uh, somebody's asking about keto and prevention of dementia and Alzheimer's. So Unfortunately, we do tend to see genetic susceptibility uh, with some of the dementias and, and Alzheimer's and their specific genes, the APOE4, APOE4 gene um, associated with this. So there can be genetic susceptibility, but definitely lifestyle can contribute. Uh, we do have evidence that the ketogenic diet, I did an entire podcast with Dr. Mary Newport. I know a lot of you really loved that episode on the use of MCTs and coconut oil and ketogenic therapy. For patients with Alzheimer's and Dr. Kunain, and a lot of people are doing some amazing research in this arena. But we know that most of these neurologic disorders, uh, the pathogenesis involves inability to utilize glucose efficiently or effectively. So ketogenic therapies can be a way to circumvent that and actually provide the brain with a source of energy. They can use beta-hydroxybutyrate as a source of energy. Beta-hydroxybutyrate also works through cellular signaling to decrease inflammation pathways, um, to increase BDNF, which is a brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's like miracle growth of the brain. And so there's lots of reasons why the ketogenic diet can be really helpful for patients that have dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, We don't have a lot of evidence necessarily in prevention. Uh, It just hasn't been well studied, but certainly could be a strategy that somebody could, could look into if you know you're, you're at high risk based on maybe your family history. Okay. But Alzheimer's is actually being called type three diabetes. So, I mean, it's like diabetes of the brain. So if you're doing everything to prevent insulin resistance, uh, in the rest of your body, I, I could 
I could theoretically see why it would be a good strategy to prevent it in your brain as well. Okay. All right. Somebody says how to build muscle mass living on a ketogenic lifestyle. You guys, I could show you the DEXA scans from 2018 to 2019. I lost 27 pounds of body fat and put on nine pounds of muscle by eating adequate dietary protein, eating enough calories and working hard, really, really hard in the gym doing resistance training. You can absolutely build muscle. Now, are carbs and insulin an easier way to do that? Well, well, yeah, they're a good strategy, uh, but you tend to put on a little bit more body fat when you're doing it. So you'll hear people going through like bulking and cut phase. Listen, just be consistent. Make sure that you're consuming at least um, at least about 1.2 grams per kilogram of your body weight, uh, even up to a gram per pound of your body weight. So if you weigh 170 pounds, eat 170 grams of protein a day, work hard in the gym, do some resistance training, put the muscle under stress, and you will help protect your lean body mass long-term. Women, don't be afraid of like being bulky. You're not going to look manly. You're not going to look masculine. Listen, you want to be strong. You want to have muscle. Muscle is an organ of longevity. So, so protect your muscle and uh, it's use it or lose it. Okay, you guys, I think uh, that's all the questions that we can answer for today. So I'm going to move on to our last segment of the Fit and Fabulous podcast, which is, of course, the semen analysis. And Okay. So I think that's all the questions that we can answer for today on the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Let us know if you'd like to do this type of episode again. We're going to move on to the last segment of the Fit and Fabulous podcast, which is called the semen analysis. And I want to share a really cool research article that just came out on September 28th of 2021. It's it's titled Effects of a Low-Carb Diet on Insulin-Resistant Dyslipoproteinemia, a Randomized Control Feeding Trial. Okay, this was done by Kara Ebeling and uh, a few others. But basically, we know that carb restriction shows promise for, for things like diabetes, but there's a lot of concern regarding the high saturated fat content of low-carb diets. And so that's really limited widespread adoption amongst a lot of people in the medical community. And so this study was really aimed at looking at carbon saturated fat effect on cardiovascular disease risk factors during weight loss maintenance. And I think that's kind of one of the cool parts that I like about this study is that we know weight loss in general, if you just lose weight, whether it's just restricting calories, no matter what you eat, we just know that weight loss in general tends to improve risk factors for cardiovascular disease. But what about when you're in maintenance? Okay. If we're in in maintenance phase, nobody's losing weight. Um, is there still a advantage of a carb restricted diet? <clears throat> so for this study, um, they made the participants lose about 10 to 14% of their diet first, or excuse me, have a four, 10 to 14% weight loss on their diet at the beginning. So there was 164 participants 70% of them were female. The average BMI was 32.4, and they were randomly assigned to three weight loss maintenance diets for 20 weeks. Now, here's the cool part about the study. Uh, the prepared diets, they literally prepared their food. Okay, this is a great way to control it, right? They're actually preparing the food. They're not just saying, hey, Tina, <laughs> go eat 20% protein, because then you rely on her to actually you know, measure, and, and so that takes away a lot of control in the study. So the prepared diets were 20% protein, but they differed threefold in the carb and saturated fat proportion. So the low-carb group 
was was 20% carbohydrates, 21% saturated fat. And then the moderate carb group was 40% carbs, 14% saturated fat. And then the high carb group was 60% carbs, 7% saturated fat. So as they increased the carbs, they lowered the saturated fat. The fasting plasma samples were then collected pre-randomization and then again at 20 weeks. Uh, They looked at the lipoprotein insulin resistance score, which was calculated from um, triglyceride-rich, high-density, and low-density lipoprotein particles. So they looked at uh, those three markers. And then um, the outcomes were uh, lipoprotein A, or otherwise referred to as LP little a, triglycerides, HDL cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, adiponectin, and other inflammatory markers. Okay. So retention was 90%, which is great. Okay, so 90% of the people who finished ended uh, through the end of 20 weeks. And then they looked at all of these markers. And what did it show? Well, it showed that a low-carbohydrate diet, high in saturated fat, improved insulin-resistant dyslipoproteinemia and LP little a without any adverse effects on LDL cholesterol. So it basically showed that carb restriction actually might lower the cardiovascular risk independently of body weight, uh, which is awesome because a lot of uh, people out there, I've seen them on Instagram, they're like, hey, the reason you feel good on a ketogenic diet is because you lost weight, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll highlight the diets, vegan diet, carnivore diet, ketogenic diet, Mediterranean diet. And it's just like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, right? Always comes back to this idea of calorie restriction. But you've heard me talk numerous times about how ketones work through cellular signaling and there's other benefits to having ketones in the bloodstream. And I think the study kind of highlights it, but certainly you know, we'd love to see larger trials, multi-center trials, um, repeat the same thing. Can they get the same results? That's what, that's what we always want to see in science, uh, is that you can replicate it again and again and again. So, all right. Thanks for listening to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Thanks for tuning into the semen analysis. I love you guys and appreciate you so much. So make sure you like this episode, share it, download it on Apple podcasts, leave us all your reviews. We love you. Have a good day.